You're listening to Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm Martha. Thank you for being with us. This week, I'm here to introduce a conversation with a pioneer of London's Afro house scene. In 2009, Seth Combo posted a mixtape to his blog called Afro Power Volume 1. Smooth and soulful, it included tunes from artists that were fast becoming big names in house music circles, like Black Coffee and Kula de Song. In the decades since that mix was published, Seth has quietly pioneered the sound of Afro House in London. Though his parties have been put on hiatus during the pandemic, Seth's kept busy preparing for the launch of the Afro House-focused Sondella Recordings, a new record label affiliated with Defected. Seth spoke to Aaron Coultate about his journey as a DJ, promoter and radio host whilst also sharing his vision for Sandella. Hey Seth, uh, thanks for joining me. Um, how are things? Uh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Things are good, you know. Even during these times, um, I can't really complain, to be honest with you. Cool. Well, I thought we could start today's conversation, uh, maybe going back to uh, trace some of your earliest musical experiences. Um, what set you on the path to become a, a DJ and a promoter? Did you did you grow up in a musical environment? I didn't grow up so much in a musical environment at home. I mean, we're from an Islamic background, so music wasn't too much of the forefront of maybe some other people's experience. I was exposed to um, definitely more soul, though, from the likes of uh, uh, Luther Vandross and Anita Baker, a bit of Celine Dion. Uh, also, my mum used to love um, Kenny G as well and Michael Bolton so that's probably the only music I was really exposed to as well as uh, local music from Tanzania uh, Tarab music which is quite uh, Arabic kind of um, or Arab influenced um, just picture you being in somewhere like Egypt and someone's got the snake charmer that type of music that you would hear uh, infused with like local African drums so that was kind of my growing up I didn't know too much about music I didn't I wouldn't say I loved music but the songs that I I knew I, I enjoyed them I guess <laughs> yeah, tarot music is so great um yeah okay that's that's interesting at, at what stage did you then start to become aware of um of club music and of electronic music um well club music definitely my, i used to go to um essex quite a lot my mate a good friend of mine uh, lived in uh, braintree and he was into hip-hop so he's the one that introduced me to the you know the top people that everyone talks about you know uh, the tourist big and tupac and also uh wu-tang clan and all other uh, entities of of hip-hop during that time and that's when i got some some deeper knowledge about those um types of artists and got got quite familiar with them over time 
Nice. And I guess, you you know, you grew up in Brixton. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, I grew up in uh, Brixton. So like Stockholm slash Brixton. So at the beginning, just where like Kennington Park is, it's like wherever you feel like on the day, you can say it's Brixton or Stockwell. If you felt hard, you say you're Brixton. If you felt a bit chilled, you say I'm from Stockwell. Yeah, you know. So yeah, but Brixton was my main kind of growing up through the first half of my life. My life. And, you know, in terms of, I guess, um, you know, Brixton's a, in a, a place with amazing musical history, were you absorbing, I guess, um, different sounds, um, especially as you started to get a bit older and, and maybe go to yeah. go to sort of venues and stuff like that? Absolutely. I guess when I would venture it, because I'm at the bottom of, of Brixton, so nothing much is happening there. So as soon as we go and do our shopping, I, uh, I have a quick save on Iceland. That's when you're getting exposed to the Caribbean side of things and, and hearing a lot more reggae. Um, and I just didn't really know much about what it was until I grew up around more people who were from the Caribbean because um, I actually moved further right into the melting pot of, of, of Bricks and Aisha. You live behind the Morley's department store and uh, from there that's when I got exposed nearly every single day to this style or styles of music or a nice melting pot of even the African music. And there wasn't as many of us there but, you know, some sprinkles of it as well as the the reggae, reggae dancehall music. And were, was there a single uh, moment or a series of uh, experiences, I guess, where you realised that you wanted to become a DJ? Uh, yeah, I guess um, there was <laughs> there's, there was a moment. Uh, I don't know if I should leave this for my book, yeah, but there is actually a moment. But for now, I'm going to keep it that, like, you know, um, I used to chill with uh, a good friend of mine, uh, after I actually left Brixton um, and, and moved up to Northwest London and um, he bought decks and he was exposing me to the grime, garage, the early garage music, old school garage music, which I absolutely took, took to, you know, the Soul Solid crew, um, a bit of uh, Youngster, um, some of the early Wiley, Wiley stuff, Pays You Go, um, and learning how to fuse some tracks as a DJ was fascinating to me. So that's how I kind of got more in tune with that music. It seemed, I, I actually, to this day, don't know how I managed to mix that music. And I've practiced quite a lot, but I was actually all right, <laughs> you know, and vinyl as well. So yeah, that was my first kind of exposing to DJ. But it was until I left and came up to Northwest London, um, I began DJing again, just in a, on my own private because I didn't have my friends anymore around me. So it was just me and this new area, which is quite Caribbean, you know, heavy, um, not so much into electronic music. It was just me on my own kind of listening to kind of garage and grime and getting exposed to it when I go to Ministry of Sound every single Friday before work. <laughs> and uh, yeah, pretty tired after that. But yeah, that's when I kind of was like, oh yeah, okay, maybe I can infuse some songs together and do it for fun i guess uh, at the time yeah and at that stage you were uh so were you were djing in in your bedroom or were you starting to like think about oh, i want to go and play in in clubs and, and stuff like that or was this still too early to even have those uh, yeah i never ever thought about playing in clubs i felt like i just wanted to put um i actually started off funny enough i know i've spoken about carriage and grime and i might lose the timeline a little bit in terms of what what I was playing at first because I was playing, I was collecting kind of everything anyway. Um, but um, slow jams was my first kind of thing I was actually putting out there 
after I used to tape myself when I, when I was in Brixton with the Garage and Grime, when I was doing my early mixes, I was actually doing slow jams and putting them out on um, mix, um, MySpace. So that was my first kind of exposure to mixing and seeing if what people liked the sound of it. Did you, did you meet like like-minded souls and um, friends on MySpace at that time? It was obviously at, at its peak was such a great uh, tool for, for musicians and DJs. Yeah, I did actually. My first uh, first people that gave me a club booking was a, a collective called Voice and Vibes and they came and heard my um, slow jam mixes and um, I won't forget this. He goes, he came into my message. He goes, he, you look like you can get a lot of girls. So <laughs> that's what he said to me. I was like, well, I don't know. We we can we can have a discussion about that. But yeah, that was the first person that actually came to me and was like, yeah, I like what you're putting out there. Uh, maybe you can hang with us. You you're, you're like minded. They were also interested in doing um, R&B and slow jam music. They were very uh, known for putting out CDs of slow jams and doing radio shows at Sunday nights where, you know, to pull the track up, people would text you or do one call drops and stuff like that. Very interesting stuff. Uh, so, yeah, that was the first person really I met through um, the music, the mixing and stuff like that, as well as um, another mate of mine when I transitioned further, which you can talk about, um, I met some more people from it, from my space. And tell me about that experience of like, I guess, yeah, getting, um, promoted, getting in touch on MySpace. You go to the first gig, like what's, what are you feeling as you're going to that first gig? What are you carrying? Are you, are you bringing like Garage and Grime records? Have you got like a wallet full of uh, burnt CDs? Like what, what uh, was that experience like? So just to take it back a little bit, um, I actually started, I moved off vinyl because I didn't have space for any vinyl or any kind of CDJ. I don't know if CDJs were available back then. I don't think so. Um, I actually picked up Virtual DJ. So I was DJing on on, on that platform, uh, Virtual DJ. So I was a Virtual DJ basically. And um, I used to learn music and I, and I think to this day it's actually kind of helped me learn music without even hearing it because I didn't have a cue. I never, I didn't have like a, um, a sound card. So it was literally headphone wave on deck one and just kind of hearing deck two in my head to know when I need to mix it. So I never really put cue points for the second song to know when maybe it's going to drop, when the vocals come in. It was pretty kind of standard across the board anyway, but I used to kind of develop my knowledge of uh, beats and bars and where songs could come in or where I can catch a song if I've if I've if I'm just jumping on a deck and I've just you know heard it's gone five minutes in I can kind of catch it real quick and know what's kind of coming up because I couldn't hear it there was no place to cue it so going to this event um, and playing um, everything so I was playing like hip-hop and uh, R&B and dance hall I was playing everything and I was Big shouts to LimeWire because that was where I got yes. everything. <laughs> yeah, um, I was I was terrified. They gave me a, a very early set and I just wanted to impress. So I just was, I didn't understand the concept of warm-up DJ. So not that I was playing the biggest hits in the world, but I was probably playing things a bit too early. And I had workmates there. And I think it's probably the only time I had people from work come to see me DJ and the fact that they came and made an effort is that I wanted to impress them um, and show them show them what I had learned through this DJing app 
And, you know, you, you mentioned playing like uh, dance hall, uh, hip hop um, and things like that. What what sort of um, or sort of walk me through, like, I guess, how things evolved for you in terms of, you know, what you were playing in clubs and what kind of what kind of spots you were playing in as well? Yeah. So I used to roll around again with um, voice and vibes quite a lot around London, but I felt that to get to other um, events was quite a struggle. I don't think I, I could, I was networking as well. Maybe I didn't have too much of the hype. So I had a mate who um, lived in Leicester. He was going to uni in Leicester. And back then Facebook was quite open to finding new promoters who were doing freshers fairs and stuff like that. So I decided I wanted to tap into the, the student scene, you know, because I saw I had seen with people's top fives or top six friends within MySpace that it was quite a uh, tight knit community of the types of DJs that were on majority of the flyers and the type of people that were going. I felt like I just didn't have access to them. I just wasn't out there like that, you know. So um, I decided to hit up a promoter called Cash. He used to do a lot of events at Demontford University. He actually said that he was looking for DJs. And I just put myself forward. Um, my friend Brian had a word with him. And um, yeah, that was, I think, the real start of the DJ Seth journey because that's what my former name was, DJ Seth. And yeah, tell me about those first uh, days of, of DJ Seth. Did you move to Leicester or did you travel up there for gigs? Yeah, I used to travel there every single uh, Wednesday. Actually, um, sometimes I've staying on my friend's floor or maybe if he's gone, you know, <laughs> then maybe I stay in his bed. Um, yeah, that was it. Every single way is a proper like commitment to try and facilitate this music that was, was you know, bubbling, you know, um, in the two areas. I quickly learned about Lesser that they were into the baseline um era so jamie duggan and djq were quite big around the midlands so it was a very very good education for me to come and learn that music as well as doing the garage the r&b hip-hop and fusing like a whole night of every single genre so yeah it was good what else did you learn i guess during that um yeah djing i guess apprenticeship and in, in lesser playing midweek parties uh, yeah, I've, I actually really learned how to, to, to put together a set and it was a great melting pot because you had a lot of people from London that were up there, but then you also had a lot of people from from um, the Midlands and, and, and beyond over there. And I guess what was happening was that people were l teaching each other about each other's cultures. London London seems to be a place where everything's quick it's fast everyone knows about every song like early and up north it's perceived that people are not are slow and not getting it as early so I guess it felt to me that what was happening in Leicester specifically was an acceleration of of musical knowledge and it was just bubbling it was it was it was crazy um yeah about the musical styles the different type of music and how to play music differently you know how you know that what works in london might not necessarily work in in birmingham or in 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 leicester so just kind to trying to develop like um a situational awareness was something i learned quite quickly as well around this time i guess as MySpace started to maybe fall off in terms of importance. Like then came the rise of blogs, 
um, and you were a pretty early adopter, I guess. You started your own blog in 2008. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've always been someone that's, uh, I believe, forward thinking in terms of if uh, a platform is down, so you got the MySpace, it will go down. Where can people actually, where's the one-stop shop that people can access you? So, um, yeah, I adopted a blog. I wanted people to kind of, f a place where people could follow my journey and I could update people to say, wow, I'm doing this, I'm doing that you know, spread news about other people doing things. Um, so, yeah, that's why I was an early adopter of the blog spot. Yeah, it was, it was good. <laughs> um, it was funny. I was looking back at, you know, the first mix you posted on there and there's a real, like, house and funky flavour to it. Uh, tunes by, you know, Charisma, Apple, uh, Wookie, Omar. Um, yeah. I mean, it's 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 great. And But I, I wanted to ask you about, uh, another mix that was posted on there in those early days, and that's uh, Afro Power Volume One. All right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, just in the middle, so in between that and that, obviously, I was still doing the kind of open format multi genre, and I went to play in a, an event. Brixton I used to have a big hard drive one that you need to have power to switch on and stuff like that and the vibrations of the speakers unfortunately made that hard drive drop which was crazy which was crazy but it just before that time I was starting to kind of move away from the multi-genre um, DJing and focus on Funky House which was that really kind of a, I, felt, I felt a little bit more at ease performing it and you know getting the crowd in some kind of euphoria, especially in, in Leicester, which was my now my kind of playground. I, I had established that now. So um, I was just focusing and on that. But I was also introducing some other players in London up there so we could actually build like an event where I don't necessarily need to play the R&B. I've got voice and vibes that can do that or crazy hype that can do the dance hall or, you know, um, storm parties that can deal with everything else. So I started focusing on my my house and funky um, stuff, which then I brought um, Seth Knows Best part one because I was a... I was known as like an advisor, whether it be the life or girls or whoever. Seth that Seth knows best, so that's where Seth knows best comes in. I like that. <laughs> Seth knows best, and then yeah, as you said, moving forward to Afro Power Volume One, where that came about was when I was collecting this house on funky music. I came across um, even though I had it in my bag for quite a long time, but. Um, I don't know what day it was. I just got a chance to really sit down and, and absorb it. It just came on randomly. I was like, yo, I really love how Bantu Soul was, was singing on that. It was really passionate. And I, I felt the lyrics. And then I thought, oh, who's this black coffee guy? And I came on to his song called um, Watulunje as well. And um, Come Over, which is kind of some of the early tracks that he was putting together. And I found out he's from... Um, Durban, I think it's from Mapu Malanga. Um, and I was like, okay, this is interesting. Let me go and see if there is more of this because I'm, I'm feeling it. It's African as well, so that's even a bonus. Then I stumbled upon um, Aphrodisia, mp3.com, and that's when everything opened up, you know. So that's when I found that um, the song, the remix by um, Frank Roger, and some of the other songs on Bodhisattva that's in there. It was just an incredible time for me of discovery of music. You know, everything else I had discovered musically, 
was already available. Like, okay, you might find a few remixes of tracks on LimeWire, you know, like some Buster Rhymes remixes or some um, some remixes which is kind of chopped and sliced, like when I was listening to Young Jeezy or T.I. and stuff like that were ludicrous. But when it came to this, outside of the obvious tracks from Charisma and Apple and um, maybe Copyright, this discovery was something else was really something else and i you know the tracks were raw they're underproduced and it was like wow i don't think you can really beat that feeling of of discovery and like a whole universe of music opening up to you and i think it was pretty yeah it was definitely quite heady and exciting in those yeah. in those like blog days i mean you, you, you mentioned the mix um had like black coffee tunes in it had kilo de song had a couple of names there that were soon to kind of blow up, yeah. you know, and it's a, it's a mix that, um, I mean, it's aged really well. It still sounds incredibly smooth. Uh, also, for anyone who hasn't heard it, um, the Mediafire link is still active on Seth's oh, blog. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you can go is. back and, uh, yeah, I was listening to <laughs> yeah. it this past couple of weeks. Oh, so. that's dope. Uh, I, I want to also take it back to some, when I used to work at uh, Hugo Boss in Regent Street and um, a guy who was actually really musically tuned in, uh, um, he introduced me to Kulo the song. He was like, there's this guy who's been, you know, um, Red Bull Music Academy has picked him up. You know, you really need to check him out. This then was like, oh, okay. And I went to go and check him. I thought, okay, wow. So it was even a good compliment against the Black Discovery and Black Coffee and all these other tracks on the MP, Aphrodisia MP3. So, um, yeah. Discovering Kulo the song was actually amazing as well. As um, I think I put 100 Zulu Warriors as, as the track there. And um, I've mentioned it on one of my radio shows that I did for National Radio that that particular song, when I was listening to, I was flying to Tanzania and I was listening to this, uh, I was listening to Afro Power Volume 1 and I got emotional just during that track because we was flying over and it was just a sunset. Uh, or sunrise, sorry, just just coming into Dar es Salaam, probably flying over Arusha, Kilimanjaro, coming into Dar es Salaam. And there was just a moment where it was that that song touched me. There was a story behind it. I don't know. I couldn't put it into words, but I could feel what this guy from from Durban is as well was feeling, and it was so emotional. It's like one one another unforgettable moment. Part of my DJing career is actually hearing a song and feeling its emotions. And I mean, just to take it back to, like you say, when you first discovered uh, Aphrodisia and, you know, all these um, amazing, you know, artists, most or many of whom are from South Africa and a whole, I guess, uh, world opened up to you. What happened next? Like, where, where did you go digging next? How did you, because um, you've obviously done so much work in the years since then um, and built so many relationships and there's lots of exciting projects you've got bubbling that we can talk about. Um, today for sure but what what happened next after afro power volume one yeah afro power volume one just just blew up it's just like everyone was like wow what's this it's the first tape that i've heard that's just purely uh, um african music i guess there was one thing that in our community which was um very prevalent and that was people didn't share track names no one really shared that they, they would do a mixtape and it was the it felt like probably the mixtape was all about the DJ that supplies the mixtape rather than the artist that supplied the songs for the mixtape. So I was sharing the first 
mixtape with African tunes on there, really. Not to say I was the first to ever do that, but I mean, first to ever produce an African only CD, but you know, maybe to share the tracks and names and, and those things. So I just went digging. I went digging, digging, digging. I started connecting and looking for other people that were doing the same thing as me. Um, I linked up with like people like the likes of DJ Petit, met um, those like DJ Fiddler, Zephyrin Saint, you know, some people that used to do events in in um, Manchester as well, just to kind of just talk really more than um link up with them but just get some like-minded people so that was probably next just kept trying to discover other people that are doing the same thing and connect and see you know give me some tips advice share you know share, share the knowledge but then also just connecting with so many south african people as well um sharing it i used to go on facebook groups that you know purely south african and share the tape and um yeah it was just crazy i think i i think i may have met black motion before there were black motion um after afro power Vol volume one yes which was cool you know after that mixtape came out and you started making um loads of uh connections around the world did you notice like i guess other like a community spring up i guess at least in in london um that was maybe starting to get into this music and that you know you were maybe starting to pioneer a bit of a um, a bit of a sound at least in London yeah definitely there was uh, more ears onto the music there were so many people that were kind of interested in what I was doing and the music that was coming out and what's next and then they were kind of very excited about hearing some of these musicians come and play I think there was only really a couple of that people that used to come and play from South Africa and see Black Coffee was one of them so in terms of the little community that was that was there already yeah definitely some of the people that used to listen to maybe the house and funky or the deep that kind of soulful house were kind of starting to come over to the the afro house or they were at least opening their ears to it as well and so, yeah, what what were your, like, experiences from this point, I guess, hearing Afro House? How did you play it from here? Were you kind of uh, just keen to play this stuff out as a DJ as much as possible? Or were you at this point starting to think, I need to do my own night, I need to, I need to get together and, and kind of take this and uh, push this forward? Yeah, definitely the combination of both. I had a really um good experience in France. I went to June Club, which is a really famous club um, for playing afro house or just a melting pot of different music not just afro house but they were keen to really get the likes of manu um kulo uh, black coffee down as well as osulade you know all these people that were kind of playing this this style of of of, of music and you know when i went i always always used to see the june videos and i was just like dreamed of going to play there and when i went there i was like yeah yeah actually it's funny i went to I went to go and see Black Coffee and I didn't manage to go and see him, but I don't know what, I think maybe visa issues and I managed to see Rocco, which was again a, a brilliant experience. But where I molded my nights around June, June Club because the way that that club is kind of built and set, Ruby Low offered something very similar to that. And I knew that I could connect the music that I enjoyed to people through the right type of club kind of settings you know the way that the club was was built was something that was really special so i was so i was really focused about playing the club playing this music at the club that but i thought there, there has to be a way i can kind of get this music out even in a in a better capacity rather than waiting 
for bookings to come that may not come I might not get booked for a couple months so this might mean that the music might get lost for a couple months you know you never know so I had to kind of build my own infrastructure and place space to kind of you know promote this music as well and is that where till two came into the the equation yeah that's when till two came into the occasion I, you know like i said I, I i stepped into ruby low and i said this is this is the right venue for it it's, it looks like shooting club it's like the dj's in the middle and it's like a semicircle around the dj and i think if if a dj hits a really good track even if it's not afro but a really good track and we can capture that content whether it be for via audio or picture of it this is the way that we're going to capture the hearts of of a lot of people and people will be interested to come and come and listen to what djs are how djs perform or you know the music that's playing until two started as a as a monday night yeah started as a monday night yeah and you know there's um there's a few you know monday night parties not just around london but around the world that have kind of got traction or become sort of well-known and, and well-loved but there's not a huge amount so you know to, to successfully i mean it, it, it's a till two celebrated its 10th uh birthday last year so yeah you it was it was a mega success um what made you think from the from the get-go that you were going to do it on a monday night oh well i had no option <laughs> that's plain and simple but you know what i was inspired by you know a lot of events um that were going on okay may maybe not necessarily the same style of events but when um some of these more um, west end events were going on they used to be packed on a monday night okay there might be like omaria might be coming through or you know someone famous might be coming through but i felt that um if you know, you could supply something that is appealing to the customer. If it be for that, those events, which would be big name artists, if I could produce a great event, people will come through. But Mondays was a struggle. And DJ Seth slash, slash I was DJ Seth then, yeah, slash Seth Combo wasn't at the point to really get this night sustainable on a Monday night. That's why I only did four two thousand and nine uh, two of them weren't great at all um the first one was good because it was my birthday and the last one was good because i kind of knocked it on the head because I, I i felt like i needed to go back to the drawing board as a as a performer um and get people interested to come and watch me perform as well as some of my peers interesting so when you had that realization how how exactly did you go back to the drawing board i just felt like i, I wasn't promoting myself enough i, I was thinking what am I actually doing with this night? What does this night want to, want to do? And, you know, how do I get the get the interest of people? Am I promoting a night? Am I promoting music? Or am I promoting myself? What am I trying to do? So it was trying to figure out the three. How do we go from year two, which would have been 2010, and ultimately where we really started to go up to, up to now? How was I going to make those things happen? So I felt it started with people needed to be interested to come and see me because I was going to be the forefront of this uh, event. I'd like to also say, mention that I actually started this event with my my friend um, and the arguments and stuff like that that happened as long in the two, middle two that happened in 2009 was, was where we realised that actually we're both not ready for something like this as yet. You know, it's not as easy to just go boom, when it's not a, a milestone night like a birthday or it's not a finale like it was in September. So, yeah, um, 
that's how I kind of had to go to the drawing board. And that's when Afro Power One was kind of born from from things like that, you know, capturing the name Seth Combos in, into people's mouths and, you know, starting to get some kind of trust and understanding with the people I was trying to target, I guess, you know. So what happened when... Uh when Till 2 kind of relaunched, I guess, in 2010? So, yeah, Till 2 relaunched with um, a different type of outlook of what I was going to do. I was going to record sets. I was going to make a platform, a podcast platform where people could, you know, um, listen back and enjoy. Uh, I was going to capture more content with the pictures and stuff like that. You know, I was going to... My main biggest part was actually making our community understand that we're not DJs, just DJs, we're performers. And I saw that in other places across the world that these DJs, however famous they were, they were, there was a kind of foundation way of kind of presenting this performer. And I felt we lacked that in our community. And that's something I had to drive home. So with all the DJs that I booked, a lot of them are known so well in the community, but I just felt I needed to go that one level up to show, actually this person's a performer, you know, they're, a, they're an artist in their own right. So once I kind of had laid, started laying those foundations and connecting the community with the artists via their Twitter pages, letting people know what their Twitter handle is or their Facebook page and really starting to grow everyone's audience, that's when, you know, I felt like the launch was definitely ready to start, you know, going ahead and, and that's implemented. That's what I did. You know, you, you're taking a really, I guess, a 360 look at how to run a good night and it's it's obviously means much more to you than just turning up with a few tunes to play. Absolutely, yeah. There's There has to be something behind it. Um, it even goes down to managing who I book. If I feel like there is someone that I want to book, I don't book them immediately. I felt also that, you know, during that time, and this was a very important part of my learning, it was that I was one of the hottest DJs at the time in my community fire till two, but I hadn't played many headline sets at till two at the time. I was warming up because it was more cost effective, I guess. And I used to, I wanted people to, to see everyone perform, but me only perform once as well, you know, but everyone was booking me for like other this rave and that rave and this event and this event. And I never used to understand why I thought probably they thought I could bring a crowd because I was bringing a crowd on Thursday nights. But um, I quickly understood that even my own career in taking those bookings was get, it was being too accelerated. So when even coming up to now, I don't accelerate people's bookings unless I feel like when they do the booking, there's more to come from them. If I don't feel there's much more to come for them, I can wait and see them develop for them to come on board then, you know. So it's, 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 it's a nice transition for, for, for all of our artists and, and DJs, I guess. Well, as you mentioned, until two move from a Monday to a Thursday. Yeah. Um, what was it like kind of building up, I guess, uh, a following, right, and an audience for that for that party? And what did it feel like when you started to see um, familiar faces, you know, coming back um, to party after party? You see, I have, uh, luckily enough, because of my roots in Leicester and being involved in the student scene, I have many, many, many students or former students who, who know me. Um, and that was a... 
I guess it was a very nice transition for a lot of students to then decide whether they wanted to come to house rave. There were some house raves you could say were a bit daunting for people to to come through, come go to to attend because they maybe felt that age was a was a factor. Um, maybe they felt they weren't wanted, uh, too young. Till two was never about you know that it was about like-minded people who wanted to come and enjoy it and hear new music just like you were doing in in university and till two opened a lot of doors for young people to come and hear house music so that's why a lot of people who were who were um also embracing social media new social media like twitter would constantly use the hashtags and stuff like that and that's when it kind of was like it felt good to see some familiar faces who still come to this day you know and whenever they mention the night they always put the hashtag like so yeah it's it's, it's, it's really interesting really really interesting and i i guess like the other parties uh that you're that you're known for um are motherland and sessions yeah uh kind of affiliated parties um let's talk about motherland um Tell me a bit about how you, uh, Kitty Moore and uh, D Malice came to meet and start throwing parties together. Yeah, so D Malice I've known for a long time. D Malice has obviously made the, the track with uh, Gabrielle Refix. So, you know, that's how I came away of D Malice. Um, and, and he obviously evolved into doing this Afro sound as well. And Kitty Moore is someone I, I met in university who was doing parties with her her friend like you know in university times they used to just throw big big parties of like you know coach parties and stuff like that and they had an event um believe called ice cream factory and she was affiliated with that so um i met her through there and she was really keen to kind of get on board with what i was i was doing as a dj and ask asking to mentor her and then uh, years down the line uh, when we started motherland or not when we started motherland they actually started motherland with uh johnny miller so it was kitty moore d malice and johnny miller who started motherland in grow and uh johnny miller stepped aside you know to concentrate on on life and um, kitty invited me to be a part of motherland um but um i had already developed like a kind of attention to detail of which I personally didn't feel Motherland was meeting in order for it to go to the to the heights that it needed to go with. So my conditions was like, if I'm gonna join, then you know, it, this 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 need to be kind of met. Otherwise, it's just another party, and we, we we're not in that business. And how how did the three of you um, then go about? Um making motherland you know more than just another party which is you know of course what it what it is uh i guess just again content i think content was so key i think just getting the one thing that i i played at motherland before i joined motherland the one thing i really enjoyed about the party was people were just so free like they were so they're free until two as well but there was a different type of crowd in there and it was so free in there and i thought wow this needs to be captured in a way like by using quality photographers you know that i'd seen um at defected parties or you know it's like whatever it takes we need to kind of capture this in a way because once we put this on the social media this is the way that people are going to gravitate towards it so um that's the one thing that i decided that we we must do because audio is good uh but there was something about 
the pictures which I felt would would work quite well and I felt that they actually did yeah they're really good and obviously like there are guests and there have been guests at, at Motherland but the beating heart of the nights really was was you three again like it's it's a party that's um got a real a really sort of defined identity and and a loyal crowd tell us you know who what is the Motherland crowd well, the motherland crowd is those that are just they're into the afro they're they're ready to absorb new music as well because at some of our other events we don't absorb new music as we would like to you know so motherland gives people a chance to absorb it um also we kind of have people from the the hackney area just come through so we have a lot of different people coming through walkthroughs who don't who come through and they don't even know that the night is this particular night um so it's a place where it's like half low crowd half kind of randoms but then they leave so satisfied and that's what i love about where it is at grow um it gives us a chance to open open you know to new types of people that never anticipated that they would come and enjoy the nights um so that's how I'd describe the Motherland crowd, actually. Very, very um, diverse as well. You know, open-minded people, definitely. And what plans uh, did, did you guys have for, for this year um, in terms of, uh, you know, Motherland and sessions? Yeah, so with Motherland, Motherland is just like a staple every bi-monthly night. You know, it's a place for us to even test new music that that's released from from that in the afro house scene um and see how it sounds um i guess we just continue the residency residency with motherland when it comes to sessions we had plans to like bring over a few djs um because that's that's where you know we want real things to to happen like djs we didn't think we'll ever have access to work work looking to come to sessions so that was really the plans um and who who we could get as well we we i'll tell you something is you know promoting is not easy and also sometimes you feel that you don't reap any benefits from it with money wise and stuff like that and you know when you're doing hours and hours of a party and you walk away with very little money because we, we don't charge much at motherland it becomes a little bit of a struggle to you know, to be up for it every single, every two months. So I quickly identified that, you know, if we decide to let that side go, so the reward, which should be a monetary reward for, for, for playing at a night, a busy night, how about we roll it over? And we started rolling over the, the events um, revenue and then sessions, the opportunity to to do sessions came about, and we you know we booked uh, we did one of our own first, and then we booked at jazz. Suddenly, you know we could afford someone like at jazz because we had sacrificed for many months on end, nothing in our pockets in order to then go to another space and book someone like at jazz, and then make revenue from that to then book someone like Jeff, and then the conversations are different now so we never thought that we would be thinking about booking someone like jeff or even the capo if we had to f take money out of our pocket you know it would have been very difficult but now we see what we've got 
be like, okay, we can go for this person. We can make this offer now. The offers are not tentative anymore. The offers are serious. So, you know, I've enjoyed, I just want to say, I've really enjoyed that part of, of learning sacrifice. Even though I have done it with Till 2, I think this was the, the real, real, real sacrifice that we as a collective, you know, had to make in order to get where we are now. Um, to to provide a, a gig like sessions, and and just to kind of I guess um, clarify for people who might not know sessions, I guess um, differentiates itself um, from Motherland by the fact that it's more guest focused, right? It's yes, guest focused. Yeah, guest focused, and we do it at a very beautiful um, space called Ores, which is in League Street in, in Waterloo. Yeah, in Waterloo. Yeah, and we decided that you know this is the perfect space for this because you know we've got we can put the dj booth in the middle uh we've got you know lots of graphics and stuff like that we can put within the venue so although it's still relatively small it gives the people an experience an experience they can't get at motherland and an experience they don't get at till two so they're all really different events but yeah guest focused and yeah we we, we proper enjoy putting them on when we get a chance to put them on yeah and you know i asked about what your plans were for this year i guess um obviously then um you know the pandemic hit and you know you like i I guess um promoters um all around uh the uk and the world have um you know had to completely rethink um i guess life really um how you know has um the pandemic and 2020 in general affected you as as a DJ, um, as a promoter? As a promoter, it really hasn't affected me because I, with Till 2, I'm just like, when it happens, it happens in terms of like, I can take a two-year break because I feel like um, we've built such a foundation with it. It's a, it's a, it's, I'm not just saying this because it's my event, but there's people that have told me it's changed, it's an event that's changed their lives. You know, it's brought them into a different realm of music. It's access different people that they never thought they would ever meet. This is a community, you know. So, till two is like it's okay. It's okay. You can go for a two year break, you know. And if that's where it's supposed to be, supposed to be. And I don't rush any event to make it happen. You know, all of these different types of um, situations that we're in. I'm, I'm like, when the clubs are open. We will come back. We always do things, do things properly. Um, yeah, I miss Motherland. I do because it's like it is a place where I can just, um, just blaze off those new records. Like that is that's where. So I miss Motherland for that, and I and I hope I can get that back up and running as soon as possible. And um, with sessions, you know, again, it is where it is, and when things happen, we will get that back on track. But in terms of um, being a DJ. Again, luckily, for, luckily for us, luckily for me, turning the tide of, on making these these free events or till two especially into a business has allowed me to go and purchase equipment that I never ever thought I'd be able to purchase and never probably would have been able to purchase if I didn't practice my events into a business with something that was missing between the time I started till two and possibly twenty thirteen. So I had to change my mindset on how I, you know, do things within my company now, I guess. And it's allowed me to purchase 
an ATEM mini studio, which is a piece of kit which allows me to do live streams. And that's something that we discussed, me and Key, and said, you know what, if we're going to do streams, we're going to do it. We've got, got to do it good. And we've got to do it. Like other people, there's so many other, you know, um, you know, streams that do, you know, real high quality. And we had some kit, so I thought, yeah, let's let's do some streams in which we've done. And so we have brought some entertainment to people. So in terms of how it's affected us, I don't think it's affected us that bad because we have provided platforms of entertainment still. Yeah, like the streams that you've been involved with and done uh, I, over the summer have looked really cool. And um, or how do you see things unfolding, I guess, over the over the next sort of six months um, for you personally? Like, will you continue to to try and do streams and connect with your audience that way? Yeah, so I've got some plans with Till2 to, to, to build, to do a takeover of streams um, for a month. Um, so the details will come real soon. Um, but yeah, continuing the streams, I feel like DJing in the club, even if the clubs were still open, is still not enough. I feel like... Um, there's still a lot of hard work and a, a lot of accessibility that's missing within our community. You know, you can use YouTube as an example if you put some of maybe some of the DJs that I've played at Till 2, for example, not enough of them exist in these spaces. And that's something that I want to open up. And, you know, I want, I, I want us to be a part of the conversation when it comes to um, festivals and, and different types of events because, you know, as much as um, there has been stuff written about recently there's still a sense of responsibility for for us as a community of of electronic music djs to still push it to be in that conversation you know there's other genres where they've created their foundation and bases so they are part of the conversation you know the same has to be said for us so that's why i feel like streaming uh, or, or in really cool locations as best as we can it's a really really vital part of the the wheels turning this year, Roshan Chohan published two important and thorough articles that highlighted the extent of the whitewashing of dance music um, at RA and elsewhere in the UK music press. One of these articles, uh, the first one, quoted a series of tweets you posted in August 2019. Um, in these tweets, you said it was time to challenge electronic music publications on the diversity and inclusion of their content. And 14 or 15 months have passed and, and quite a lot of discussion has happened since your original tweets. How are you feeling about it now? Yeah, in the last uh, few weeks, um, you know, I've had conversations with people like yourself and, and others who have, you know, you know, had a chance to apologise and, and, and give some sort of reason to why um, they believe that this was happening. And I think uh, um, personally that there comes a point where we can accept what's, you know, we don't have to accept what's happened in the past, but it's time to move forward and it's time to move forward to make a better future, I guess. Um, what's done is done, but what are we doing going forward? So do I have the confidence? From what I've seen, I have a little bit more confidence. You know, I'm here today, something I didn't ever think um, would happen. And I guess that's um, part of some of the tweets is talking about someone's story within the community and I hope there will be more in, in, in years to come. And, um, yeah, I just hope that, it, you know, this is not just a phase and this is the, the norm, I guess. Um, so to answer your question, yeah, I've got a little bit more faith. Yeah, definitely. It's it goes without saying that there's still um, a lot of work to be done on RA's side. 
what would you like to see happen in the future? Yeah, I think it's not just Afro House. It's, it's, it's all types of house that's being pioneered by those of um, ethnic minorities, you know, um, this, like I said, there's been there's so many events that are doing so well now. Do you know what I mean? Like it's so important for those stories to to be told. Um, it's part of the culture. You know, there's a lot of um, publications which I see which talk about London being like such a melting pot of new music, fresh and great artists, and you know the the place to be for music. But there's this one corner of London where there's some great stuff happening as well, equally as, as other places. So it's so important for these this the story to be told. Um so, you know, what can be done? I think it's about networking. You you and I have now come into contact with this is this is the first stop step of of networking. You know, I introduce you to people that I know that, you know, you could look at and and Maybe not necessarily have to focus on, but just be aware of, you know, and likewise, you've got your own kind of network of people that you've built over the years. You know, we can all kind of pull together and, you know, show that kind of, you know, tip our hats to each other and, and, and show that respect. Because as much as you've worked hard within this establishment of resident advisor to put out the content that you feel that needs to be out there, we've also worked hard to put on things which we feel needs to be you know, expanded and 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 you know, embraced by by others. So, I think it's just you know, networking, not being afraid of 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 having tough conversations as well, because there's gonna be there's not gonna be too many Seths who are who are accommodating. There might be some people with some real chip on their shoulders, and that's totally fine and totally you know should be acceptable. So it's about having those tough conversations as well and and being being willing to be, you know, maybe even, you know, forced to say sorry 10 times more than when you say sorry to me, for example. So, you know, just moving forward, let's just keep on moving forward in a positive light because this music is being shared to the world and it's being shared to all communities and all communities are playing it. So we should all be doing things in unison together and um, and helping each other, you know, to to express our passions so important agreed and and look you're talking about you know mention um looking into the future you've you've got some really exciting things coming up um you know i'd like to talk about uh one of them which is a, a new label you're involved with yeah um i don't know how much detail you can go into but yeah with uh you know it's a defected sub label um and which focus on afro house um you'll be a non-executive director of the label and head of a r sounds like an you know, a very exciting opportunity. Um, how did it come about and, and what are your plans? Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, I just have to go back, back, back because it's it's really important to, to, to detail this because we've just been talking about it. But when I hired Swaybar for Till 2, um, the people I went to go and um, hire the club off was through a recommendation for another person. And when they heard the Afro-Caribbean people were coming to listen to house music, the idea was laughed at and they didn't believe it. But they gave me a chance anyway. Yeah, um, I paid a higher, I wouldn't say I paid a higher fee than anyone else, but I paid like the standard fee to, to get this event and the, 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 the bar spend was higher. I don't think I'd ever met that bar spend before. But when I produced the event and I did it, I, ne I neither hit the bar spin, neither got the numbers 
that was probably required to get the bar spend. But the person got it. They got what I was telling them in their meeting. They got it. And sometimes you need a little bit of faith, you know. And that person introduced me to Simon Dunmore. Not just because of the night, but they saw the consistency of the night. They, they understood my passion. So they introduced me to Simon Dunmore. So we're talking 2012, maybe I met Simon. So we got talking. And I think since then, I think Simon's just watched what I've done and seen what I've done. And, you know, that's why he's, he's brought me in to come in, play it for him in Croatia and be a part of the defected family. But what I've done myself is just be me, you know, whether it be a bit outspoken on the Twitter or, you know, talking about football so much. or I've just been me, but I've also shown my passion about what I love, which is music from the continent of Africa. And I think that's what's gravitated the defective family to me and trusting me with Sondela Records. Um, and that's kind of how we started the conversation actually five years ago, not just about Sondela, but five years ago, we started a conversation about, you know, introducing some Afro artists and stuff like that, which I did, Black Motion, I introduced to Defected and they, you know, they had the release Rainbow on the label, which was, uh, you know, a great release and had some really cool remixes. And um, yeah, the, at the beginning of this year, Simon turned around and just like, yeah, you know what, it's time. Um, I think Defected were in a in a better place to bring another label on. You know, I had some really cool releases. Um, Endor and um, Camel Fat were really, really big releases that helped the labels um, to, to do well and then maybe possibly think about now how we introduce a different sub-label. So yeah, that's kind of how we've we've kind of developed this relationship to where we are now. So I'm running it with Louis Dunmore, his um, Simon Dunmore's son, who's actually picked up a love of Afro House, albeit not the same, exactly the same as mine, which makes this relationship really good because he's young and I'm a little bit older now, but it gives me an understanding of what young people are, are liking and, and, and groove into in a club Afro House style. So it gives me a good idea of, you know, I'm not so tunnel vision on I need you know, congas, I need like this type of drums. It's also taking an appreciation of what's happening in the, in the streets and keeping my, my ears firmly to the streets using, using someone like Le um, Louis as a, as a person to do that. And Louis using a person like me with so much experience to kind of give him an idea of, you know, this Afro house music. So um, yeah, we are here today and we have, a, we've signed a few records and we are going to be, um, really starting to release i think around february time um and defect is a great place you know they've got um a massive team um and i think that's the advantage over some of the other labels who I, i've said it in so many places and i keep on saying it salute to everybody every single label that has come and put any afro house music or have been a part of the scene they need their salutes because it's so hard especially if you're a one-man team, one-woman team, you've got very little support as a team, as a unit to put, to do your promotions, you know, for, for a record that you strongly believe in. So I'm thankful that somewhere like Defected, you know, has a team that can help us to kind of really put the music that we assign to the forefront. But my aim is to ensure that Afro House music 
has eyes on it from everywhere. So even though we might be releasing and even though we might have a strong team to do promotions, marketing, all these type of things, that's still your other labels, whether it be Nulu Records, Offering, Aluka Records, DM Recordings, you know, and all these other labels and all these other artists, you know, there's eyes on, on these people as well. So that's where, you know, I think we can really help the scene on that side. And in sort of keeping with like, you know, the other projects that you've been involved with, there is like a real, there is a 360 view to this kind of thing. And, I, you know, the label will also be working with um, Bridges for Music, the charity. Um, and how, how will that work? Yeah, so Bridges for Music is uh, based in Cape Town and they have a lot of students per year. So Defected are going to be, um, you know, s- sponsoring free students per semester um, over the course of three years. And I think it's a, just a great way of kind of giving back and just, um, you know, including including Africa within our project. Uh, we're basically a non-for-profit um, organisation at this moment. So whichever whatever profits we do to make our side will be going to bridge you know bridges for music so i think that's i think that's amazing i think that's really brilliant that's something i never thought of um so salute to those who who did think of that idea and it just brings uh, people from Cape Town, because I'm not really into so many people from Cape Town or know that many people from Cape Town making this music. So it's going to introduce me to some new new people. And it also gives people like opportunity as well. Like, you know, oh, there's something that can that can come for this. And I think people even work even harder. Definitely, it's definitely making me work hard, that's for sure. So, yeah, it's, I, I can't wait. I'm actually be going down to Cape Town to to go and go to bridges for music and you know network there meet the people there hopefully meet some students um you know unearth some some real talents you know god willing and um or if not then over time but yeah definitely sounds great and you know it's uh it's november 2020 um in london and you know obviously things in in the world are quite uh stressful and, and bleak for a lot of people but you know, looking into twenty twenty one, what would be your best best case scenario for for the year for you for you personally? Uh, yeah, there's a, still a few guys. I'd just love to play at High IB for on a black coffee night. I, I just I dream of doing that. Like, I played with him a couple of times, and that's for me just like um, one of my goals. I'd love to play in an arena like that, and um, so important yeah i don't i don't play in many big clubs I'll get those opportunities so even going back to what we were saying if we connect and stuff like that these opportunities may start opening it up some of the festival organizers have other people to look at as opposed to what they normally used to see um if i put out a number one record on track source or a um a mu- digital music site for sondela records that would be amazing yeah, I think those are the two. And and a couple big artists on sessions. Or till two. One of the two. That would be like a good 2021. But yeah, definitely playing that high in Ibiza and and a number one record on Sondela. Yeah. Sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> Seth, thank you so much for coming by to chat. Yeah, thank you very much for having me.